Welcome to Inside Yorkshire with Susan, bringing you intriguing details about the lives of people here in Yorkshire. So, come on in and join us. Hello, Susan here, Inside Yorkshire. Now, today... I'm talking to Carol Tetlow, who is a, a retired GP, and she has published six books to date, and all along the lines, I think all along the theme of um, medical practices, am I right, and what goes on behind the scenes, things that we're not aware of. Um, it is fiction, so um, I'm intrigued to find out how much of it is based on real people, and uh so we'll go from there. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> now then, you actually began writing while you were still working as a GP, didn't didn't you? I did, yes. yes. Um, I, out of the blue really, I had an idea for a novel and the story sort of started to develop in my head and then I just knew it was time to sit down and start writing. Okay, and had you always enjoyed writing when you were younger? Yes, I used to. I used to when I was um, uh, a child. I used to love these stories about people and their ponies, like the Pull and Thompson sisters and Jill's Jim Carner and things like that. Though I never had my own pony, sadly. And so I did write a book about some children and their ponies, but that was never published. No, so you you were basing it on, as they always say, when you start, when you begin to write, that you should actually base it on what you know, don't they? Absolutely. Hence yes. your your um, series of books. Though I think you've got five in one series in the um, TV at Dale Medical Centre series. Five in that series. That's correct. And then, and then one standalone that I wasn't aware of. Yes, that's more right. Recent one. Yeah. So you base that around. A GP practice and presumably um, a little about some of the people that you either worked with or some people always ask is it autobiographical? Um, they certainly do and I would say no though my sister would certainly say that she can see a lot of me in my books. Um, quite a lot of people who've read my books search avidly for signs of themselves within my books but the characters are all made up of lots of different people that I know and lots of different patients that I'd met when I was working. So I don't think anybody is identifiable as one particular person. That was one of the things I was going to ask you. Had, did anyone, has anyone actually um, found a character that they thought was based on them and approached you about that? I think they found a character that they'd quite like to be, but in actual fact it wasn't based on them at all. Okay, <laughs> so it's more of um, an, an amalgamation of several characteristics from different people. Is Absolutely, yes, mm. because I think that's much more fun to devise in your own mind and to put onto paper and to create your own character rather than using the one that already exists. Yes, also I wonder, I would wonder about the confidentiality aspect, especially as it's, uh, you know, as a GP, if you were to if anyone was recognisable, I guess that would be a problem. Of course it would be. And and that's another reason why you don't write about people as they actually were. Um, but during my time in general practice, and you know, I was a partner for over 30 years, I met so many different people with just such a, a wealth of 
intriguing and different dilemmas and problems and traits of character that it's quite easy to weave a few of those together and create somebody new. Certainly, and I, I, I did read that you um, that on occasions you felt that your characters were actually developing a um, personality of their own and developing the storyline with, without you. I think that that happens with all of them. Um, it took me by surprise with my first novel because I hadn't expected that at all, and I had the characters mapped out and the storyline, and I thought that it was just going to be a simple matter of just putting this on paper, but. As the characters started to develop, they took over and they told me that what I'd got in store for them perhaps wasn't how they were going to behave, it wasn't the sort of thing they would say, and they led me off in a much better direction, I think. Okay, so um, I've not written anything. Um, I'm intrigued to know what your um, approach is to writing. Are you quite disciplined? Do you sit down... I understand that you quite often read, we're sitting at the kitchen table. Now you quite often write at the kitchen table. Uh, this is where I write. Um, I, I do it now all on my laptop. Mm. I find it easier if you want to erase something and then do it again. Um, and it's easier to read back. Uh, I would like to be more disciplined. Um, but as any writer will tell you, it's if you're not really in the mood for writing, it's very easy to come up with at least 23 different reasons why you perhaps ought to go and do something else. Um, so you do have to be disciplined. And the the most recent book that I've written, um, which is about a tennis club, so a completely different venture, I actually wrote in instalments for my sister, who was undergoing chemotherapy and so I had a deadline every week that I had to have finished three or four chapters so I could send it to her. And that, in an, I think, was the best way for me to write. But it's hard putting that target on yourself when there's no good reason to do it. I was going to say that was a very good reason, wasn't yeah. it? Yes. Uh, brilliant, perfect. So, yes, uh, yes it would uh, very much focus the mind, something Indeed. like that. Indeed, yeah. And I'm sure helped her tremendously. I hope so, yes. Mm. And it was something completely different rather than popping in for a chat when she didn't want to chat and this sort of thing. And she's always been the first person to read my books. So this one was just for her. So that's perfect. Mm. And it, yeah. is that at the publishers now? I'm trying desperately to find a publisher for it. Ah, because the original. Now that leads on to another question mm. then. How do you go about finding a publisher? Because I know from um, your details that you it took you, was it seven years in the making for your first book? Uh, just Yes, just under, I think. Just under. Um, I've always wanted to do it by the traditional route, to find a literary agent who would then sell my book to a publisher for me. But it's really, really frustrating uh, to do it this way. Um you can pay to have your books published, but that idea has never appealed to me. Um, so I went down the route of trying to find an agent. I did find one, um, but then he sort of evaporated into the ether and I never heard from him again. Um, I then found a second agent who apparently went to open a school in Botswana. 
Um, and I think the most frustrating thing about agents is that you send off a sample of your work and each agent wants something different. And sometimes you never, ever hear back from them. So you're never quite sure how long to wait before you do you write to somebody else um, or whether it's worth pursuing. Um, it's not a lot of fun. So for a, a budding writer then, um, you you wouldn't just send out to lots of different people all at the same time. You have to leave a gap between each one, do you? There are some agents who stipulate that they want to be the only person who's reading your work at the time. But there are other agents who are now um, uh, more relaxed about their attitude and understand how frustrating it is and so don't mind if you submit to multiple agents at the same time you've just got to read all the details about each one and do as they say due diligence yes <laughs> yeah yes difficult situation to be in so but I did notice as well that you're from your first once you you actually found a publisher mm. who wanted to publish your first book mm. you were continuing I'm presuming to write or did you did you write the the other books because there are five in that series and they seem to be published quite close together? Um, yeah, I think I had, uh, by the time my publisher and I uh, signed a contract, I think I had four waiting to be published and I was writing the fifth. So that was why they came out in quite a short space of time. Mm. Um, my, my publisher is in Canada, um, but... Because the tennis novel is a completely different venture, I'd, the dream is to be published in the UK. Mm. That's, that's what it is. So really. you haven't approached your current publisher with the tennis book? No, I'm sure he'd publish it for me, but I'm st I've just decided I want to go back to square one and try in this country first yes. and see how I get on. When mm. did you complete that one? <clears throat> I completed it last year. Mm. Um, I have a lovely, lovely friend who uh, copy edits and proofreads for me so um it's just going out in lots of different directions at the moment with fingers crossed yes yeah, so well best of luck with that <laughs> thank you <laughs> now then just to just to um go into a little more detail so that listeners can actually uh, realize what you've written about in mm. each book the um the medical center is a fictitious medical center called Teviotdale medical center and I understand the Dale, because we're in the Yorkshire Dales here. Um, the Dale is Lambdale, which is also fictitious, but based, I believe, on Massam. It is. Um, Massam is one of my favourite places to go and walk the dogs. And I do a lot of my thinking about my books while I'm walking the dogs. And I just think Massam is just a perfect little market town. Mm. And for some reason, when I thought about where I was writing... It just fitted with Massam. Right. So um, some of your fans then, are they aware of the, the different places and the fact that Lamdale is is based on Massam? Is that something they're aware of? I think a lot of them do recognise it, yes. Mm. That that will be those who are uh, fans in this country rather than... Of course, than, of yes. course, and, and, and fans locally, I think. Yes, yes. yes. Now then... Um, Oh, I didn't write write that down, but there, you had some fans who had commented on your, I think, on your Facebook page, sending you fictitious medical details. Um, Wootens or 
Is it Mr. and Mrs. Wooten? Have I got that wrong? Oh, oh right. On the, on the t- that's on the TV at Dale page, which is all purely fictitious. Yes. Um, and um, when I was starting to write it, um, two people started to uh, develop, and because you know every general practice surgery has its sort of more infamous characters who turn up every day to be wanting to be seen by the doctor and or who just want to sit in the waiting area or who are always on the phone and so two characters developed and one of them is um Mr Wattle oh, and Wattle is actually an anagram of Tetlo Ah, okay. <laughs> I I thought it was someone who'd actually picked up on it. Okay. No, 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 no. He's no. an anagram of, of of Tetlow, and um, Mr. Wattle is also um, a very keen photographer, which gives me the opportunity to put a lot of my husband's photos on that page because he is a very keen photography and photographer and a very good one. Ah, okay. I I presumed wrongly then that 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 had been a fan writing to you. <laughs> Quite amusing, really. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's talk about the actual books then. Um, the first book was Out of Practice, is that right? That's correct. That yes. was your first yeah. one, the one that took a long time to yes. to uh, yeah. come to fruition, then, or at least to become published. Now that um, the details of that, it's about the impact of um, on of a G- being a GP on your personal life. Yes, the the main protagonist in all of my books is one of the doctors at the surgery. And in this one, uh, 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 this is a female GP, and it really tells the story of how she struggles to cope when her life sort of implodes, not just at work, but also at home at the same time. Is that due, would you say that's due, that can be then due to the long working hours and the fact that you probably don't often manage to switch completely off? I think so, without a doubt. Um, it, you know, being a GP isn't uh, a job, it's a vocation. And certainly I was always guilty of bringing everything home and worrying about it at home and still working when I got home. And in many ways the heroine in this book is very like me in that she's a perfectionist. She won't give up till it's done. Um, she often puts work before her home life, mm. um, which in this case proves to be a detriment. Yes. Yes. D- a difficult situation. I think, um, I think it, it must be, I, I think possible. Well, I don't know. My, int- my impression now from my local GP um, surgery is that there's more of a demarcation between working hours and when you're not available and out of mm. hours support. Whereas back, way back, it, the doctor was on call mm. right the way through. Yes. I think there's a better balance now. Or there, there would appear to be, but then you're you get you're getting someone else. You're not getting the personal Absolutely. touch. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. I mean we did we did our own on call up until nineteen ninety six and Yes, it meant that you were called out from your bed at night or in the evening when you'd worked all day. But the bonus was that mostly you knew the patients who you were being called out to. You knew where they lived. You knew what the medical background was. And so there was that continuity of care, which I think now we're moving further and further away from. 
Okay, so not necessarily a, a positive change then. I think not. It's, it's one of my personal soapboxes, continuity of care. But mm. I can see that the way things have to change in order for the NHS to be able to cope. Um, but it's not a good thing. Also, from the GP's point of view, I'd have thought that the health of... You have to be healthy in order to treat, don't you? You have to look after yourself, which... Of course you do. But, uh, but remember that, you know, perhaps when I started in general practice people did think twice about ringing the doctor out of hours. Mm. Um, but as time went by, patients' demands and their expectations increased. So you can shop 24 hours a day. Um, you can do so many other things 24 hours a day. And so then the expectation is, well, why can't I see the doctor at any time of day? Because it's convenient for me in the evening, that sort of thing. Mm. Well, there are not many, well, I don't think, I mean, rural GP practices, mm. we're very fortunate in that um, you don't have to wait two weeks to have mm. an appointment, which I know from friends and family members who live in a much uh, busier area than we, we are. It can be quite difficult. We're very fortunate. Oh, oh it can in, be. Yes. It can be. Mm. And I think it's it's very hard when I go to the doctor now as a patient I'm very aware that the doctor has 10 minutes per consultation you don't want to run longer than that you think to yourself well I'd really like to ask about this teeny tiny thing as well but I'd better not mm. it's very hard it mm. is did you always want to be a GP uh, no I wanted to have a riding school oh okay <laughs> <laughs> When you went into medicine and when you started training in mm. medicine, was that always the direction in, in the me in medical side that you uh, wanted to do? No, I wanted to be a bowel surgeon. Oh. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> fascinating. Really? Yes. And then I was very keen on maternity. Mm. But then what I realised was that as I got sort of higher up the ladder towards consultant status, I was doing less and less of what I like best and that was talking to people and finding out all about them mm. and so I did want to have more time for hobbies and a life outside hospital so that was when I went into general practice. Yes and so were the hours in general practice better than they <laughs> hospital were... hours because they all seems fairly intense <laughs> to me. They were better plus when you were on call you could be in your own home Mm. Uh, which was at the time it seemed like oh <laughs> absolute delight <laughs> <laughs> so being being on call at home far preferable to being in a hospital ward, yeah. definitely yeah yes so have you can I just ask have you always been in this area or have you um, did you come from elsewhere um, I, I was a GP in Harrogate uh, so I was there for over 30 years um, I qualified in Nottingham and then, uh, as was the way, moved around a bit. So I went to London for a bit, Southampton, back to Nottingham, Orkney, mm. Bradford, and then Harrogate. Quite a, a, a variety then of, of um, different situations, I think. Oh, it's looking back on it, it's it has been hugely pleasurable most mm. of the time. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's always good to hear. Now, so we talked about the first book then, and the 
I may have got these out of order. That's you okay. can correct me if I'm wrong. Faith, Hope and Clarity I have done mm-hmm. as your second. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Now, um, that tuckles, I, I understand from looking at, at the books, mm. I haven't read any, any mm. yet, but uh, you tackle some quite difficult subjects. Now, in, in this mm. one, it's uh, around an eating disorder, comfort eating, that sort of thing. Yes, yes. The, and well, that was one of the GPs, am I this right? Is, this is one of the doctors. I mean, it shows that you know doctors aren't infallible. Mm. They suffer in the same way that everybody else does because they're just human beings. And um, the heroine in this one has come to the practice to do a locum and nobody realises that um, she's under huge pressure to lose weight because she's got a pending wedding coming up. And she reacts to any sort of stress, be it good stress or bad stress, by comfort eating, Mm. Um, sometimes making herself sick. Mm. Um, In this one, she actually um, takes a patient's tablets, which are supposed to help her lose weight. And so there's the, you know, there's, there's that issue of the patient gives you her medication back. Of course, you don't take it yourself, but she's very tempted to and she does so. And is it all worth it? Mm. You have to read the book to find you out. Do. Yes. <laughs> book three, Too Close for Comfort. Okay, this is a bit different because this is mostly about um, one of the GPs and how she comes about to end up at the practice. So it's actually about when she's working in hospital and doing her training to become a GP um, and what that entails. There are some very serious problems going on with her mother and father that she has to cope with a bit of a disastrous relationship but knowing me it probably all ends happily in the end (laughs) oh you shouldn't tell us that (laughs) but I do understand I I had the impression that that one was also around dealing with um the ill health of an of a loved one yes that's one of her her father is very Mm. ill so the ethics then, and yeah. I think that must be very difficult. Having the knowledge that you have, knowing mm. what you know, mm. must make it a lot more stressful when you have a family member, a loved one, who is ill. You would have a lot more knowledge about the problems, mm. having seen it through something similar happening to um, a patient, perhaps. And that must be difficult to deal with. And also, ethically, are you allowed to? Uh, you're absolutely right. It is hugely difficult to cope with a situation as soon as emotions are involved. And I always found it very difficult because, you know, there are some patients who just get under your skin a little bit more than others. Um, ethically, as regards a member of the family, you shouldn't treat them. And you should just stand back and say, I know what's going on but I can't. I'll refer you to one of my colleagues. I think one of the worst things I had to do was look after a friend's husband who was dying. And I said to him, do you want me to step away because I'm a friend? And he said, no, I want you to look after me. And so I did because it was what he wanted. But it it really tore me apart. Very hard. Very hard. Yeah. Mm. And I think as well, um, to a certain extent, I mean, I know we can all Google symptoms and Mm. illnesses a bit too much these days, maybe. But um, 
sometimes knowing less about it can make it, I think, easier to cope with. Definitely. Than knowing everything about it, which you would mm. need to in mm. the practice. Yes, definitely. I, th- I think there's a lot to be said for a little knowledge is a dangerous thing mm. because you tend to go off at tangents that don't exist and you see it, you don't see it as objectively as when you when you don't have that knowledge. Mm, definitely. So that was that was um, book three. Gosh, we have quite a list of books here. <laughs> so the next one was um, Spoilt for Choice. Have I got that in the yep. right order? And that was um, a couple of different storylines in, in mm-hmm. that, that you were um, one doctor, I'm not sure male or female, dealing with patient infatuation. That's right. This time the, the protagonist is a man. Okay. Uh, the younger male partner. And, um, yes, one of the patients t- takes a decided um, shine <laughs> yeah, to him and uh, really will go out of her way to do anything to make him more aware mm. of her presence. Is that something... I, I, could, I can only imagine that the dependence that a patient, whether it be... Well, I guess it's uh, to a certain extent a bit of a um, a mental situation that there is a need there for mm. someone to bond so completely and feel that the the GP is the saviour and will sort everything out for them and then can become very attached. Is that mm. something that's that is common that does happen? It, it's quite rare, but it does happen, and you know, to the point of infatuation, then that's rare. Mm. Uh, the, Often you can develop quite close friendships, but they are friendships that have boundaries and everybody knows that you don't go beyond those boundaries. But it's it's not unknown for a doctor to receive too many gifts, too many cards, too many personal comments, you know, the patient dressing specially for when they go to see them, this sort of thing, Mm. you know, asking them to social events. And that's yeah. and following them home. You have to be very careful, I'm yeah. sure. Yes, yes. To keep, make the boundaries clear. That mm. again must be difficult because even in um, a situation outside of a profession, sometimes the care side of it maybe will give the wrong Im- wrong impression. It can do. It can do. And as as a, a GP, you're not supposed to get involved with any of your patients. Um, uh, but but yes, it's very easy if you're a caring person and you go out of your way. Perhaps you pop in to see somebody on your way home because you're just worried about them. People mm. can misconstrue your good intentions for yes. something else. So so a great deal of care needed yes. in that situation. Yeah. But yeah. in the same book, you also covered, I think I wrote her name down, Claire Jennings, who was mm. one of the the GPs was she who yeah. was having difficulty did she have difficulty conceiving or just a difficult pregnancy she had difficulty conceiving in the first place mm. um, which is touched on in the first book because that's part of what's going on in her private life ah. um, but the poor soul she does have the most awful pregnancy I'm afraid mm. maybe not a happy ending but we won't go down that route because you'd have to read the book to find <laughs> out but yes I, I think um so developing different storylines mm. for each character. She was in the first. She was in the first. She book. was the heroine it, in the first one. So does she continue through? Yes, all she of them? she keeps popping up. Yes, right. So mm. is it the same? Um, are there the same doctors within yes. the surgery yes. right the way through? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh well, that's mm. good. The continuity yeah. certainly. Yeah. 
And then we have change of mind. And in this situation, it's the medical receptionist who <laughs> becomes interested in um, the male. Doctor. It is. And this is about the senior partner who's about to retire. So maybe um, it was written round about the time when I was retiring. So there may <laughs> be some autobiographical little hints in here too. But yes, one yeah. of the receptionists becomes very, very infatuated with the senior partner and misreads all the signs. Um, she has a pretty grim home life with a very elderly, demented mother and a wayward son. And so she's desperately searching for something that will bring her some happiness in life. But there is a reason for her behaviour, about which I shall say no more. Okay. No, we don't want to spoil it. No spoilers. No spoilers. (laughs) Since... uh, Sorry. Since then, you've also written... To, uh, that was the the five mm. books from the um, TV at Dale series. Yeah. Then you have also written, I'm not sure if the... All right, so this is before the tennis one. We've got Best Served Cold, which again has a medical background to it. Yes. I it, do like the cover for that one. Oh, thank you. Uh, it is, it's, uh, again, it's based in a, a general practice, but um, it's completely new characters, um the the main character is having a very difficult relationship um and she has a mother who has a mental health problem in that she has bipolar disease uh and a father who uh, is trying to cope with this um and at the same time there is the doctor she's having a relationship with is putting a lot of pressure on her and all sorts of strange things start to happen to her and she can't work out why and all I shall say is it's a story of revenge okay intriguing (laughs) I think there is there's a a certain um, all the different things that, that you refer to within the book obviously your medical background but we are fascinated by medical um, history, medical knowledge, that mm-hmm. side of thing, things. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when you're writing about it, that will be real, that won't be fiction, that will be all based on your medical knowledge. But I wonder what it is about us as humans that we are so fascinated in other people's health. It's the mm-hmm. first thing you say, how are you? Yeah. You know? Most people don't actually want the answer. <laughs> the last thing they want is a great tirade <laughs> yeah, about somebody's or someone's mm. medical background. Yeah. But um, it's uh, it's interesting. Oh, it's it's fascinating, and this is why I thought that this was almost like a niche market mm. because you've only got to look at viewing figures for things like Holby City casualty there's um, a soap in the afternoons isn't they called doctors yeah they're, they're all hugely popular um and one of the things i've done to promote my books is i've joined the yorkshire speakers circuit okay. and i go around giving talks to women's institutes and luncheon groups and little groups like this and i had no idea so many of these existed but they absolutely love all the medical stories in my talks 
Right. So you don't just talk about your books then, you talk about... A lot about my career. About your career. Yes, with lots of anecdotes about things I've come across. You know, some funny ones or some sad ones. Yes. Yes. Oh, that would be interesting. Okay. And then a a complete change of direction is your latest book, the Mm -hmm. one that that we were talking about earlier then, is The Tennis Club. You're a keen tennis player yourself, I understand. I'm a hugely keen tennis player. Uh, I took up tennis when I retired because I wanted to get fit and joined a local tennis club and fitted in very well. Met some lovely, lovely people to play tennis with. But at the same time, I realised... What a hotbed of intrigue and petty squabbles and characters I'd stumbled upon. And they were just waiting to be written about. (laughs) So there's maybe a bit of medicine creeps in at one point. Mm. um, But largely it's it's all based around these characters who play tennis every day. How have you managed to hide them from the actual real people then? (laughs) How have you managed to disguise them? Just by, again, by sort of platting together different facets from each of them and coming up with somebody new. So no one has all of the uh, characteristics of... Ooh, of no, 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 no. Though, though, though if it's ever published, there will be a very big disclaimer on the first page. So these, yeah. these characters are fictitious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think that must be um, that must be quite difficult to do, I would think. But I can imagine um, what sort of size is the tennis club. Oh, quite big. Yes, mm. quite big. There, are, I think there are maybe 300 people who play oh, tennis. Gosh, that's a lot. Yes. 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 Yeah. yes. So now then, um, upon that line, then that's the last of your books waiting to, to go out. Have you got something else in the pipeline? I have. And it's a, a sequel to The Tennis Club oh. because two of the people in that book, uh, two ladies called Miriam and Peter, um, keep telling me that they haven't finished telling me their story yet. So I'm just working on that at the moment. Right. So con- constantly then the ideas come, do they? Yes. That's wonderful. Mm. Oh, it is. It's very exciting. And it's, do... very, it's very therapeutic, I think, as well, to sit down and write. Mm. And I think when I was writing the, the medical books, I think that it helped me with my day-to-day work because... I was creating a world where I was in control, which was completely different from the world I worked in, Mm. where everything was completely out of my control. Yes. And I would imagine no one, no one day is the same in that world. Not not at all. No. No. No, You think to yourself, oh, that looks like a nice quiet day. And it can just go wrong from the first patient that walks in the door. Mm. So wonderful to be in in control of everything that happens, although your characters take over on occasions. Well, they do, well, they do indeed. Yes. <laughs> do you ever get writer's block? Do you ever find that you really can't get past a particular part in a story? Oh yes, yes, definitely. And I, the way I deal with it is, I just have to walk away and leave it, and then come back to it another day and hope. And sometimes it's gone, and sometimes it hasn't. So I just wait because I have no time constraints mm. on this occasion. You're not so. on a deadline, no. no. No, no. So I guess what do you do? I know you have a lot of animals here. You go out for a walk with the dogs, I guess. I go out with a walk with the dogs or I go down and talk to the donkeys or look for the cats who are usually in the airing cupboard (laughs) (laughs) or go and play tennis. Or go and play tennis, yes. So if anyone then wants to um, 
to purchase your your books mm. where would they find it are you on uh, they're the all, usual yeah they're all on amazon, amazon. and mm. they're available as paperback or ebook okay mm. and also um anyone listening who's aware then that you do uh that you do um uh, talks how would mm. they engage you on that um they could email me Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to put that out, or I can put it in the show in the notes afterwards? Okay, yeah. If you do that, yeah. If you do that, then yes. that's fine. So yes. you can give me all of your contact yep. details that you're prepared to share, and we'll put. Okay, we can fine. put them in the notes. Yep. Yes. Mm, okay, perfect. that's the best yep. way then. Yes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Carol. I've really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. This is Susan signing out from inside Yorkshire. Thank you.